Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Forgiveness resides at the heart of our Sunday morning worship. Sunday by Sunday in our Eucharistic liturgy, as we'll do in a few moments, we kneel before God and ask for the forgiveness of our sins. And the good news of the gospel is that our request is received by God and God grants us the forgiveness we desire. Yet our liturgy doesn't just stop with a, this individual vertical reconciliation between us and, and God. Rather, our liturgy flows from the absolution to the peace, where horizontal reconciliation between me and my neighbor, between us and one another, is at least symbolically shown forth, if not actually brought about. Hence, the, the core of our liturgy contains this this key Christian dynamic of forgiving one another because we have been forgiven by God. In our gospel reading this morning, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is outlining directly and by means of parables some ethical guidelines for those who would be his followers, ethical guidelines for the kingdom of which he is the king. Here we learn that for Jesus' followers, in distinction from other schools of thought or perhaps even from our own natural impulses, Jesus' followers are to forgive no matter what, no matter how much, and no matter how long, because we have been forgiven ourselves. The previous chapter of Matthew's Gospel opened with the Transfiguration, that, that great scene where Peter, James, and John uh, are allowed to see Christ in his glory as as one certified and endorsed by God the Father. And there not only is Christ certified, but his teaching is as well. There on that mountain, God himself tells these three befuddled students of Jesus that they are to listen or, or obey, to, to follow Jesus, following him in his teaching and following his example. This small group called a learning community that Jesus formed with Peter, James, and John and his other students, the disciples, are being brought together with the purpose of learning from Jesus how truly to live rightly, how to behave toward God and each other and those outside of their community. The authority, the, the rightness of Jesus' teaching is here verified by the Father's voice at the Transfiguration, and it's corroborated by Jesus' miracles, such as the healing of the boy with the demon in Matthew 17, 18, and then ultimately ratified by God's resurrecting Jesus from the dead. So this, this learning community is coalescing around Jesus' teaching, and Matthew 18 contains a series of mini-lessons on the conduct of those in Jesus' school that they ought to follow. These instructions, in some ways, uh, distinguish Jesus' classroom teaching from what we often think perhaps in our own context. At least nowadays, I overhear my son doing his remote learning uh, in our family room, and I hear things like multiplying integers and drawing with perspective and, and that sort of thing. But Jesus here in Matthew 18 isn't so much doing math or art uh, as he's doing ethics. Ethics being that domain of study wherein we think about such things as right and wrong, proper behavior, 
how we humans ought to conduct ourselves uh, around and with other humans. And Jesus is here instructing his disciples on how to live, how to behave in his kingdom. Looking at Matthew 18, verse 15, which was our reading for last week's liturgy, Jesus gives some ethical instructions on how to deal with people when they wrong you. And this seems like eminently practical teaching to me because people are wronging each other all the time. Especially in any community of, of any kind of tightness, people are going to do things and say things and act in ways that, that hurt and offend and wrong others in the community. And here's where I think Jesus' um, Jesus' ethical system is not some abstract ideal system, but is, is a very realist one. He doesn't tell his students, oh, in my classroom, all your problems are going to go away. Rather, he seems to be saying, if you, if you live in relationships, if you're living in community with one another, you're going to run into conflict, you're going to get hurt, you're going to be wronged. Here's how to deal with it when it, when it eventually happens. And then what Jesus outlines is a process by which the community can seek reconciliation between members of the community in order that genuine admission of wrong can be confessed by the offender and forgiveness offered by the offended. And that takes us up to our, our lectionary reading for this morning when one of Jesus' star students, or perhaps problem students depending upon the moment, Peter, tries to probe the details of this teaching on forgiveness a bit further. As a teacher myself, I kind of like questions like this. You get the question that says, like, oh, Professor Arcadia, I get what you're saying, but what about this? And then you get kind of pushed into something a little more specific or to apply it to a specific situation. I think that's great. And it seems to me this is kind of what's going on with Peter and, and Professor Jesus. Peter's raising his hand and saying, okay, teacher, um, I get what you're saying about forgiving someone if they genuinely admit that they have wronged me, but, but what if they do it again? Do I forgive them then? What if they do it again? What, what, if she's, what if they do it seven times? Do I forgive them the seventh time? Oh, I think this is a great question. This is the kind of question that um, takes some idea or some kind of principle in, in the lesson and then moves it towards some kind of extreme end, taking it to a logical conclusion in order to kind of, kind of test what the what the principle is all about and if it's accurate. In the rabbinic discussions of, of their day, uh, the contemporary rabbinic discussions, um, there was the idea that if someone sinned against you three times, then you had to forgive them, but not the fourth time. So Peter's even being more extreme than those rabbinic discussions. What about seven times, Jesus? And then we all know Jesus' response. Hey, Peter, not even just seven times, 77 times. 77 times, as some translations have it, others have 70 times 7. That's 490 times. Regardless, the point that Jesus is making here is that there's no upper limit on the number of times one is supposed to forgive an offender in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus' lecture turns into a parable where Jesus tries to drive home, try to illustrate this point about there not being a maximum number of times that his students will forgive others. Jesus, as a teacher, uses a lot of stories and parables. Um, I haven't really gotten into using parables yet in my lessons. Maybe I should. These parables invite the hearer to see themselves in the story to, to glean the ethical point that Jesus is trying to make. 
Sometimes in Jesus' parables, at least for me, it's a little confusing to figure out just where I fit into the story. Like, think of the prodigal son story. Uh, Am I the prodigal son who squandered the inheritance? Am I the jealous older brother who's kind of self-righteous? Am I the father who's like running out to meet someone who's, uh, who's offended me? Or the Good Samaritan story. Uh, am I uh, the religious leaders who ignore the beat-up guy? Am I the Good Samaritan? Am I the beat-up guy? <laughs> For a number of these parables, I probably find myself in different characters at different times. But for this parable, I think it's pretty clear where we hearers are supposed to find ourselves. We are the individual who was forgiven a great amount of debt and yet won't forgive someone else who is indebted to us. We're the ones who owe 10,000 talents. Uh, One commentator suggested in today's currency might be close to a billion dollars, billion with a B. It's an absolutely ridiculous number for one individual to owe to another individual. It's simply a debt that cannot be repaid. But this then, I think in, in real life, is, is apt. It, it's, it's the debt we owe to God. We owe God literally everything from our very creation to our continued existence to our daily bread to the forgiveness of our sins. Our debt to God is huge and we in no way have the resources to pay it back. And so the king in the story forgives the debt as God forgives our great debt to him. That's a good story, nice illustration of this vertical dimension of forgiveness. But Jesus goes on to describe the horizontal dynamics as well. For the story goes on, that same servant went out and found some other servant who owed him some money, not an insignificant amount, perhaps a few thousand dollars in our currency, but a few thousand dollars in comparison with a billion dollars debt is clearly not proportional. Yet instead of, as one might expect, the previously forgiven servant granting forgiveness to the servant indebted to him, instead, he turns him into the prison until he can pay all his debt. Well, naturally, then, the other servants get all worked up when they see this play out, and they report the forgiven servant to the king, who takes the extreme action of handing him over to the jailers, literally the torturers, for his offense. So the teaching of Jesus' classroom seems pretty clear. All of Jesus' students have been forgiven an immense amount. And so now it's our role to forgive others when they inevitably wrong us. Sounds rather simple, right? But it sounds perhaps a bit too simple. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but um, I've found forgiving people to be incredibly difficult at times. Maybe you've felt, or even feeling that right now, perhaps this might sound like too tall a task. How can I really forgive someone when I feel like they have greatly wronged me? How can I forgive someone when they have repeatedly wronged me? How can I forgive someone when they have repeatedly greatly wronged me? Uh, A lot of times it just doesn't seem humanly possible to forgive someone. And in fact, I think that's right. At times, it's not humanly possible to forgive. Forgiveness, especially forgiveness of, of a magnitude being described here, is not a natural human response to being wronged. What we humans need, then, I think, is is an ability or a power that is literally beyond ourselves. 
a power that comes not from within ourselves, but from outside. Or perhaps better, it's from within, but it's from a within so deep within us that we have no access to it from ourselves. I think this is the power afforded us by the Holy Spirit, who dwells within the deepest recesses of our souls. Here again, part of our, our, our collect for today. O God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. I think our forgiving others is pleasing to God, but often we're not able to do this on our own. We need God to help us to do that which is pleasing to him. The Father gives us the Holy Spirit to direct our hearts, to direct us to do those things that are pleasing to God, but we just can't do on our own. In those instances when you feel you can't forgive someone, in those instances when you feel you can't genuinely give the peace to someone, it might be that you're totally correct. You can't do it of your own power. And what you need is a supernatural infusion, a literal Holy Spirit infusion of ability to forgive. Just for illustrations, think, say, think of the martyrdom of St. Stephen in Acts 7. Acts 7, starting in verse 59, the text says this, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him, against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen here, with his dying breath, forgave his murderers and asked God for forgiveness for them. This seems to me not humanly possible, but, but note that a few verses prior, the text states that Stephen was, quote, full of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't do this on his own, and he didn't have to. The Holy Spirit was empowering him to do that which was pleasing to God. Now, I don't know, like, if right now you have someone you need to forgive, but feel like you just can't. Or maybe you just need to tuck this idea away for when something like this inevitably happens. But whether it's now or later, I, I wonder if we can use this collect of today specifically to ask God to grant us the ability to forgive when it feels like we can't possibly do it ourselves. I'll pray this prayer one more time, and I invite you to pray it for your own need to forgive as you have been forgiven. Oh God, because without you, we are not able to please you. Mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.